Well, well, it's uh, it's good to meet you. Um, where where do you live? Uh, in I'm in Wisconsin right now. Wisconsin, okay. Central Standard Time. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Twelve hours. Um. So, uh, welcome. I'm glad that you're interested in in uh, the Buddha Dhamma. What kind of background or experience do you have? Well, um, I'd say my main my main practice and my main tradition that I've been in uh, been working with for the longest time is the uh, the Goenka tradition of the Vipassana. Okay. And um, that's another reason why I was interested to uh, talk with you because I heard on the on the Guru Viking podcast you were talking about uh, you actually spent some time with uh, with the man himself, Goenka. Well, yes, and stayed at the uh, facility, and um, uh, the town is named Igatpuri. Uh huh. And the retreat center is named Damagiri. Oh, Damaki. Nice. Ever so, heard the word? Yeah, yeah, I've I've, I've heard of it. Uh, so yeah, so I'm wondering what what was that like for you? And and as I understand, that was sort of only one stepping stone for you. So I kind of wonder what made you feel like moving on from that. Like, did it feel like like that was lacking something. Yeah, there was several things that was lacking, but the thing I think that was the most is is that um, I kind of figured out or recognized that what Goenka is teaching is missing something. It's not complete. That's what really drove me away from Goenka was is that he was certainly on the right path, and that was fine because I had been to a lot of different gurus in India and recognized that they were either charlatans or just off the wall. But Goenka had something, but it was incomplete. Angel, okay. In what way? Well, eventually I found that out. Yeah. Eventually, I found it out that there uh, that in fact, uh, uh, basically, what I found out that he had taken the word away that needed to be there. When he calls it anapana, he should call it anapanasati, and he should emphasize the anapanasati part of the anapana. And he's also was missing out on the importance of it. That he thought the important thing was the body scanning. And that uh, that winds up not being the more uh, the more important part at all, but it's exactly the important thing to learn is mindfulness. And so most. Um, most Westerners, when they're doing the uh, most of the Goenka work, they do a whole lot better job of doing it by having a guide who can remember to stay on the body. And so uh, that's why Goenka does a guide every day. I used to do those guides. 
guide students through. I've been told, oh, your guidance is so marvelous. I really like it so much. I wish you'd do it more often. So I quit doing it after I heard that so much. So I, do, I don't do guided meditations much. Because we want the students to learn how to do it themselves rather than doing it with a guide. Now, not only that, but the way that the Gawanka method does the body scanning is in a very systematic way. To where the sutras don't talk about it in a systematic way, and Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa talks about it in a natural way rather than an organized way. And you know that the Guanka method, they generally start at the top of the head. That's the first thing to talk about, getting sensation and then washing down and all of that. And eventually down to the abdomen and the breathing and all of that, and then down to the to, down to the feet. And sometimes they come back up and sometimes they just start over again at the top of the head. And when you stop at a particular place because there's a particular sensation, then you look at the sensation then. So there's a lot of systematic stuff that they do that misses the point of the spontaneity of looking at the body when you need to look at the body because you recognize that you do need to look at the body. That's sati. So one is just following a set of rules. And the other one is spontaneously seeing what's really going on. So how, how do you how how do you recognize when you need to look at the body with sati? Well, by remembering first off to put uh, a priority on the body and the breathing, and the second one is also with that is to learn to put a priority on remembering to look at the body and the breathing. And so we're also talking about now the mind and the body working together. So as you develop the mind, you're developing the breathing. If you're take, if you remember to take a long, deep breath, then that's the sati. You see, Goenka in his Anapana forgets about the sati. And the way that we add sati to the Anapana is by remembering to take a long, deep breath as opposed to just watching the breath, because the mind will wander away from the breath very easy. He talks about that a lot, that it's really easy for the mind to wander away. Well, how do we actually then pin the mind to the breath with the sati is by making it a long breath so that you breathe in long. That's in the suttas, but that's missing in Goenka's method, is taking long, deep breaths, remembering to take long deep breaths and develop that quality of remembering with each breath. So sati is a skill that we develop and we use the remembering to breathe long in order to develop that skill as well as getting the benefits out of breathing long. Mm -hmm. And then we have sati on the out breath to remember to breathe out long in the sense of a relaxed, easy, ah, oh, just relax. Because the fourth step of Anapanasati is relaxing the body. But Goanka makes that very difficult when he adds things like the strong determination sitting because the students are no now nowhere near relaxed enough to relax for a long period of time. And so he sets himself up for failure with his students with this strong determination sitting. Because the whole point is to relax the body. 
And here we are tensing it up by by trying to hold it still for a long period of time and the muscles ache and the blood won't flow when we have, uh, uh, um, you know, my leg has ants or uh, uh, we call it going to sleep, that kind of stuff, all kinds of things in the body that we do that are not relaxing at all. And so that's a missing, another part of the Goanka method that he's missing. And so, so there's quite a lot of the Anapanasati Sutta that he that he doesn't have. It, his, his whole practice basically is an organized way of doing step three of Anapanasati, and if you guess, it's kind of like everything else. <laughs> so, so the Anapanasati actually... Does that include the body scanning as, as part of it? Not as body scanning, but it is included in the sense of knowing the body. The body scanning is somebody's idea of an organized way of doing that. But the natural way is, is to pay attention to whatever needs paying attention to. In other words, where are the itches? Where is the tension? Where is the headache? Where does the headache come from? Are there tensions in the shoulders? And many students will have tensions in the head and shoulders and whatnot in meditation that they don't have any other time. Why is that? Why is that? I mean, literally, if you're actually practicing to relax the body, then why does the body get more tense? The answer is the student doing something wrong. Yeah. Yeah. But the students are not ever um, invited to go find that out. They uh, the Goanka method is just says, just keep doing this, just keeps doing this. And some people get more and more and more and more tense till finally they can't sit anymore. Right. Yeah, I've definitely, I, I've, I've done that. I actually, I kind of uh, sprained my ankle and then <clears throat> tried to keep meditating, um, you know, pretty strictly through it and ended up just, um, I, I don't even, I, I can't really even do sitting meditation anymore. Cause I know. So you're just yet another example of doing harm in the name of doing good. You're actually not because of the way that the Kawanka method practice, a lot of people get hurt. And so I would recommend that you take a different approach, the Buddha's approach, rather than the Kawanka approach, because the Kawanka approach is sometimes dangerous for some people. Hmm. So. Okay, so then. So I suppose I, I want to know more about how to how to do this practice. I know I know what your question is. It's just hard to get it formulated. <laughs> and the answer to that is let's start over again. Let's start over again in the way of knowledge of the teachings of the Buddha that basically start with dukkha, dukkha naroda. And that pulls out into the Four Noble Truths 
of dukkha, the cause of dukkha, what it's like to be in um, not in a state of dukkha, and the path that we can get to get there. Now, one of the problems with Western Buddhism, and I think that Goenka himself is a proponent of this, but I'm not quite sure because I never really heard him ever talk about the third noble truth. But the reality of the third noble truth, it is not a permanent position that once you arrive there, you can't leave like it was a box or a prison or something. It's that what we need to do is practice being able to get there because getting out of it is too darned easy. Getting back into dukkha because that's our habit. And so what we need to do is practice getting ourselves into a state of satisfaction so that we're not experiencing in this moment a state of dissatisfaction. So the way that we learn how to do this thing of let's get in a state of, of satisfaction is actually by understanding what it is that causes dissatisfaction. And that's the second noble truth. And that second noble truth winds up being the complexity within the teachings of the Buddha, because it goes all the way down to how the mind actually works, which is called Paticca Samapada. You probably heard that term before. Dependent origination. Oh, dependent origination. Right. What that means is, is that everything is dependent. And so anything that happens in the mind is going to cause something else. And that is now going to, that affected thing is now going to cause a new things. And so we get in kind of a chain reaction and we wind up in suffering. How do we do that? And how can we go in and interrupt that process? Okay, that's the teaching down at that level. But in the beginner's level, we have to actually understand that the kind of thoughts that we have is uh, a way of, of looking at that. And so when we go into the third, uh, from the third to the fourth noble truth to understand the eightfold noble path, almost always in Western Buddhism, that whole point is missed. But that's the actually what we're going to do. We're going to spend all of our time talking about the path. Even to the point, remember that we were talking about a lot of words are translated incorrectly. Here's one of them. The path is not a path at all. That in fact, when Westerners hear the path and they understand the word path, they think about a trail or a path that's going off into the distance or off into the future. A time framed thing. Right. And they miss the point that way. And so, unfortunately, I've gotten to the habit of using the word path when I know precisely that it's not a path at all. What is it? Instead, it's a method. Something like the method of taking a key, putting it into the lock, turning the key, turning the knob, and opening the door. And that's all there is to it. It's not a great big long path. The door from the uh, first noble truth to the third noble truth is something that you can do right here, right now, not something that happens way later because you're doing something stupid right here, right now, like doing a strong determination sitting. That we have to practice feeling good and the strong determination practice helps the student practice for a long time feeling bad 
And the longer they sit there, the worse they feel, hoping that the bell will ring. I wish this was over. And they're not practicing Anapanasati at all. Anapanasati is a practice of sukha, of getting oneself into a really, really nice state of happy, content, satisfied, complete, and whole. Yeah. And yet most of the meditation practices, the students get interested in the technique of the practice and sometimes take it way too far to the point of harming themselves. Because the original goal is missed out on. And that original goal is immediately available. Rather than over the long term. But the way that we do it in the West is, oh, you have to uh, work and work and work and work and eventually you'll get paid if you're lucky. I mean, business is built on that. Uh, the whole. Um, uh, let us say monetary system, the uh, capitalism, all of that is based upon you got to work and do it first and then you'll get paid. Right. Mm -hmm. You walk into a restaurant and you get your food and you eat it first and then it's paid. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that is going to doing a strong determination setting uh, as is doing the work. What's the payment for that? Look at your ankle for the answer. <laughs> uh. But the Buddha did do, did have a strong determination before he became enlightened, right? Before he became enlightened, yes. And what became enlightened was to recognize that that was the wrong thing to do. But Westerners are going out, oh, I'm a Buddha, therefore I got to do everything wrong for six years until I break my ankles and then it'll happen. Well, what will happen? What is it that happens? The answer is, is that you wake up. So why not wake up right now? Yeah, it sounds easier. <laughs> uh. Well, that's actually the practice of the Buddha is to learn to wake up right now, as opposed to doing some sort of hard work in order to get your payment later. That's the ordinary way. The super mundane is get your benefits right bloody now. So, so this is another way of, uh, <clears throat> I think, looking at the same thing. But here, here's another kind of personally putting this question to you. Uh, we could say right now in my life, I feel uh, some amount of dissatisfaction with uh, my working life. My living situation as great as it is you know, as, as grateful as I am in many ways, but I feel some dissatisfaction. I feel some maybe sense of emptiness. And I feel that sense of dissatisfaction driving me to, I'm going to go over to Thailand, to India, wander around, you know, meditate, find some spiritual teachers, the whole thing. Yeah, I know. I've heard that story before. We've all heard that story. <laughs> <laughs> so, so is is that is that just
just the same kind of is that just dukkha is that just yeah wanting something that you don't have and thinking that is way far away and it's going to take a whole lot to go get it that is way off in the distance way off in the future mm -hmm. that's what westerners have in mind and you just described it okay to where in fact you can find satisfaction in the next breath if you know how to look That's the whole point that everybody's missing is because they've got these highfalutin' words that most of them they borrowed from Christianity or borrowed ideals from Christianity and painted those onto the words that they've heard about Buddhism. An example of that is enlightenment, that we put enlightenment way up there on the top shelf along with Jesus, okay? We put Nibbana up there too. Where in fact the reality is is that Dibana just means to cool, just to chill out. It's hard to chill out when you're doing long determination settings, but it is easy to chill out when you remember just to chill, baby, just to chill. Take a deep breath and relax. That's what is Nibbana. Nothing special. The Buddha used ordinary words. What makes it super mundane is how you feel about it by practicing correctly rather than practicing as a failure and not getting the, what you're looking for because your bar is too high. The standard is way out there. But that's the problem is, is that we set rules and goals for ourselves that are outlandishly difficult, and then we feel bad because we can't meet it. So what we need to do instead is recognize that the goals that we have are way up there, and that we bring that word down to to um, a correct level, then we can find a way of actually crawling over it. Mm -hmm. So let me give you a better working definition of the word enlightenment, rather than the one that's way up there, top shelf sort of thing. And that is by looking at the word light itself. Enlightenment, the key word in there is light. Well, what light means is like daylight, shine a light on it. Like uh, 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 light the thing up, which actually has to do with investigation of ditty, of knowledge, of looking. Not e not expecting to find what you're looking for, but rather we're just really looking. That in fact most of the people misunderstand this eightfold noble path this issue of looking because they misunderstand the word view. That the word view is often used as a viewpoint or a world view or a way of looking or a perspective right this is how we use the word view so that's why it's translated wrongly a better word for ditty translation would be investigation inspection uh diagnosis um uh so this this word investigation interrogation looking deeply into so we change it from a noun a viewpoint into a verb looking so we don't do an investigation we're just investigating and investigating and investigating that's what the word ditti means. So sama area ditti means are you really looking at what the mind is doing as opposed to holding viewpoints or concepts? 
Okay. So we need to come out of the conceptualized mind into actually an investigation. That's what the uh, uh, the whole point of the scanning was supposed to do is for you to look and keep looking in their case, a systematic way, keep looking at the body. But you don't have to look at the body that way. You could look at the body in what you would call a haphazard way, which is not nearly as hazardous as doing it systematically. Okay, that you look at what needs to be looked at rather than looking at what you were told to look at or what's on the plan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. I suppose you can do it moment to moment throughout the day. Also, you know, as things come up. Right, to pay attention to the body, pay attention to the breathing. Goenka talks about it and the breathing in the sense of the rise and the fall. You can feel that. You can feel the touch of the cloth. You can feel all of that stuff, but you don't have to do it in a systematic way after you've gotten so far down that you can actually use that as a base. And we can go out to the hands and out to the face and out to uh, other parts of the breathing apparatus. And so this is a way of looking at it in a more natural way. Really getting in touch with the breathing, but also get in touch with the breathing in the sense of how nice it is, how marvelous it is. But to Gwenka, even all with all that Anapanasati, he never goes into the issue that uh, that is very, very evident in the Anapanasati Sutta, and that's the quality of joy to actually sit here and enjoy what you're doing. But most meditators hear from the Goenka method is as though you're supposed to sit here and work so that you'll get some future benefit. As opposed to sit here and learn to enjoy the moment. Hmm. To just sit here and relax and enjoy the moment. Everything is satisfying. No place to go and nothing to do. And this breath keeps me alive. And it feels so good to relax. So alive and relaxed. This is the kind of language that we want to start using. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah, so well, when you put it like that, it's like, it seems so simple. It is so simple. I told you, I warned you that before. But when we're practicing it wrong, it makes it complicated. Yeah. Yeah. It's like any puzzle. It's like a 500 piece jigsaw puzzle. And you know that the first time you put a puzzle together, it's a lot of work. But you can tear that puzzle apart after you put it together the first time, tear it all apart, put it right back together because you know what colors and the remembrance and all of that kind of stuff. And you put it back together the second time. But the 19th time you put it back together is a breeze. It's just da 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 See that what I can do? Okay. That's the way, that's the reason why we have to keep practicing over and over and over again, because in the beginning, getting that joy, getting that satisfaction, getting that sense of relief, getting that sense of coolness and calmness, it's not what we're used to. We're used to being hot. 
And so when people go and practice meditation, the Goenka method, they just continue practicing being hot. And so now what we're going to be practicing is practicing being cool. Now, how do we practice that? All right. The answer is that we uh, do this investigation with discernment. We do this investigation by looking for something like a, a switch so that we can turn that switch and light things up. Just like we talked about the word enlightenment means to lighten things up so that you can see them. And we see it by investigating, but we investigate with discernment, which means now we have to make a decision over whether this thought is worth having or not. Can I think of something better than I'm thinking about right now? Because I've been in the habit of thinking thoughts that are not particularly useful, not particularly wholesome, not particularly valuable. In fact, many of the thoughts that I have wind up making me miserable. Like what about ism? What about this going wrong? What about that going wrong? What about this other thing going wrong? What if the student hates me? What if this? What if that? And people will go around and when they do enough what about isms, they'll get a diagnosis from a psychiatrist. And so what we need to do is to stop doing our what about isms and stop thinking about things that are outside. In fact, we stop thinking in concepts or in verbal dialogue and start thinking in a different kind of way. What are we thinking about now is very short, easy sentences that have to do with what's happening right here, right now. This is why we should be doing things like the body scan if we're doing it correctly, because when you're thinking about the body scan, a particular place like your right ear, you're actually thinking about the right ear. The question is, what kind of thinking are you having about it? Because you can think about your right ear, put your attention and your awareness on the right ear and get a great big kick out of the right ear. Well, what a marvelous thing this thing is. But we don't ever do it with that kind of attitude. This is what needs to change. And this is where right effort comes in is we make an investigation of the body, the feelings, the mind, and the place to start is with the mind, the thoughts that we're having and seeing, is this thought wholesome or can I think of something better? An example of that, oh, I don't have to think about the email that I'm thinking about right now that I might write in the future. I'm going to think about just sitting here and relaxing instead. I don't really, why am I thinking about an email when I'm not actually writing it? Or why am I thinking about going and working on the car when the car is not right here now? I don't have to think about that. I can think about being comfortable and happy and relaxed and how nice things are right here, right now. So this is what we mean in Anapanasati by gladdening the mind to take all of the trash out, all of the conceptualized thoughts that are in the past, in the future, some sort of plan, some sort of, uh, let us say, dangerous situation to fix, possibly because we're in a state of fear. That in fact, uh, children grow up in a state of fear and we somehow never get out of it. We wind up staying in a state of fear most of the time. 
and we give ourselves the things to think about in fear of with what about isms. So right now we're going to have thoughts about, well, what about if there's absolutely no problems? There are absolutely no dangers right now. Look around. You can see you've got no alligators on the floor. You've got no snakes crawling up your leg. The mafia is not beating your door down. The SWAT team is not in the yard. Everything is just okay right now. So why can't we allow ourselves to feel okay right now? To feel safe and secure and contented. Okay. That when you're sitting in the Goenka retreat, you don't feel safe and secure. You feel like you're being watched in a way. They got to conform. You got to do the what, what you're told to do. And that's the attitude that we have rather than the attitude of, hey, I've got everything wired. I could just sit here and relax. Yeah, this is a strong determination sitting and I'm strongly determined I'm going to enjoy the whole damn thing. <laughs> but that takes experience. That takes a while. And it takes getting into a good state and practice being in a good state. You're not going to sit there miserable month after month after month in a strong determination sitting and ever learn to enjoy it. You never will because you're already practicing the habit of hating it. What we need to do is start practicing the habit of enjoying what we're doing. So. This is what we mean by gladdening the mind, and we have to take the effort to start enjoying what we're doing. That's the right effort. And the that brings on the kind of thoughts that we call gladdening the mind. In other suttas, the Buddha talks about it in the sense of unwholesome thoughts, thoughts of wanting something like enlightenment, thoughts of getting rid of something like my leg pain. Thoughts of cruelty, thoughts of greed, thoughts, all kinds of thoughts about getting something done are unwholesome thoughts. And what we need to have is wholesome thoughts, thoughts about what we're doing right here, right now. Thoughts about how nice things are right here, right now. We actually do live in a paradise until we start judging it and finding wrong things with it. That's exactly how Adam and Eve got thrown out of the Garden of Eden. They threw themselves out by criticizing the darn place. If they'd stopped criticizing it, they could have lived happily in that jungle. So, so and it's, here we are unhappily criticizing the jungle that we're in, not recognizing that we're actually living in a paradise. So, so, so gladdening the mind over and over and over again and again, just um, sort of gradually actually changes the thoughts and, and. Yes, exactly. And what we mean by that then is the fourth item on the Eightfold Noble Path, the Sama Sankapa. The way that is described in the suttas is, is that right view, right sati to remember to view and right effort run and circle around one another gaining strength. They run and circle around each other, building each other up as a skill so that the easier and more uh, directly you can see, the easier the effort is. And the more often you look, 
the more often you remember to look. And so these three things run in circle around each other. And as you're asking what happens then, the answer is the fourth ingredient is added to the mix. So that now you have four items on the list. The fourth item on the list is Sama Sankapa, which is also referred to as right intention and sometimes wrongly translated as uh, uh, right thought. But Sama area Sankapa actually is the attitude. It's the intention. It's the uh, direction that the mind leans. It's a leaning or an attitude that we have. And here we're beginning to develop the attitude that not only can you feel good by practicing this method with the right effort, but you do feel good and you like it and you know that you can do this. That's when the skill becomes really skillful is when we know that we can do it. This is also in uh, the Pali, the word is shada or shrada, and it means confidence, not faith. That we have the confidence that we can do this. Okay. And that confidence, what the Buddha would refer, would, was referred to as the lion. Why was the Buddha referred to as a lion? It's because of his supreme confidence, his attitude. Can you develop the attitude of a lion? Can you develop the attitude of a Buddha? Can you develop the attitude of, I can do this? Yeah, and that, and that seems pretty uh, almost opposite from how we usually think of the Buddha as this super quiet. Uh, well, he is strong enough to just stay quiet, isn't he? Mm -hmm. He's not quiet because he's a wimp. Right. Because <laughs> wimps aren't quiet, they wimp. Yeah. Yeah. This is also why stoicism or the stoic is misunderstood. A stoic is not a stoic because he's quiet. He's quiet because he's strong. And he's strong because he's wise. Hmm. Uh, I have a couple other just random questions I want to throw out there. Is that okay? Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, one thing which uh, maybe the question is, how important is it to have a clear idea of where you're at in in the process like thinking of you know the four paths and stream entry and all of that it's you know i i feel part of myself wants to at least have an accurate some kind of ballpark idea but you know i know there's there's a lot of danger in the judging and comparing and all of that no one knows what the future will be. No one knows your future. The question is, can you know your present moment? Okay. And when you know that you can know the present moment, 
That's kind of a milestone. This is what they're talking about is not goals. They're talking about when people can do some skill. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about soda pine later. But in fact, I've already started talking about it because it starts with confidence. Mm -hmm. That in fact, there is a statement in the sutta number 48, which makes a great deal of discussion about the obstacles and the hindrances. Maybe about two paragraphs to make sure that everybody understands what the Buddha is talking about when he uses the word obstacle. And then he says that the uh, there comes a point in time when the student knows that no matter how obstructed his mind is, no matter what kind of hindrances that he has in this present moment, that he can remember to take himself out of that and come back into this present moment no matter what no matter what the doctor says you no matter what the cop tells you no matter what your wife says no matter how your foot hurts you do have the power to come back out of that stuff into the present moment and enjoy the moment that is the first step of the path that is the first knowledge that is super mundane, is a factor of the path, and that is not held by ordinary people. Most ordinary people, in fact, all of the ordinary people, by the definition of their ordinariness, means that they still feel victimized in ways and places, rather than recognizing that they are truly 100% the king, the emperor of their own life. Everybody else feels like somebody else or something else is the emperor, not me. Poor little me, I'm victimized. We got into that habit when we were babies. We were victims when we were babies. The question is, why do people, when they grow up to become champions, they wind up still remaining mentally victims? That's the whole point is, is that can you change your attitude from being a victim to being a winner right now, no matter what's happening. You can throw that stuff out. One of the students one time uh, had a little story that says that everyone is an emperor of their own pile of dirt. Everyone is an emperor of their own pile of dirt. The question is, are you going to be buried under your pile of dirt? Are you going to be clawing your way out of your pile of dirt? Or are you just simply going to sit on top of your pile of dirt? Which attitude do you have? The attitude of, oh, I've got to crawl out, I'm so buried, or the attitude of, wow, this crawling out is so much work. Or the attitude of, hey, that was a piece of piss. That was no thing doesn't do it. It's just a change of attitude. Can I remember to change the attitude from being a victim to being a, a champion? To come out of your pile of dirt and be on top of it instead. Be on top of the world. Be the boss in your life. Be your own God, for instance. Who is in charge of your life anyway? Yeah. The answer is when you remember to, you're in charge. And when you don't, you're a victim to something else that's in charge. 
Yeah. So this is where we come to back to the gladdening of the mind. The gladdening of the mind will help the change of attitude. Now, where does the breath come in? The breath comes in at this time with that right um, uh, gladdening the mind or changing the right thought. Actually, we use the, uh, the breathing as an anchor to come back into the present moment, to take this breath and take it very, very well, to tie the mind to the breathing and start thinking about the breathing and start thinking about being alive in this present moment. To just enjoy this present moment because you're still breathing. Congratulations. It doesn't matter whatever happened in your life. You're alive right now and you're still breathing. Isn't that marvelous? Ever how badly we screwed up in the past, it doesn't matter because we're still here to try another breath. Just make this one a good one. <laughs> so. That's where the mindfulness of the breathing comes in, is to remember to take a long, deep breath and get a big kick out of it and get the benefits out of that long, deep breath. Hmm. Okay, just a couple other random questions. I don't know how to transition to them, but... <laughs> uh, is the is the Buddha Dharma? Do you see it as fundamentally different from other other truths of certain traditions, say mystical traditions of other religions or Gnosticism? You know, some some other. Actually, we could go so far as to say that the Buddhist teaching is uh, somewhat, and I say somewhat, unique. Somewhat unique. It's somewhat unique. And the reason that I say somewhat unique is because he's not the only one who has figured it out. That it's a, um, uh, a reality that anyone who knows how to look with the proper skills can see for themselves. Unfortunately, most people don't have the skills to see things correctly. Some of the practices in Hinduism and some of the practices in Christianity and some of the practices of Islam are practices that develop skills that are needed in order to see correctly. And sometimes it's quite possible for people who were very deeply engaged in Christianity can see right through it because they've got the skills to see right through it right through the Christianity and, and, and remove that veil of Christianity so that they can actually see what Jesus taught. Okay, that also happens with, with Buddhism because there's a veil of Buddhism that is in front of the actual teachings of the Buddha. And that's but the, the veil is thinner. The, the veil of Christianity is pretty darn thick. And it is really hard to see the teachings of the, of Jesus beyond the Jesus that they've got painted on that veil. The God, the way up there. And you see, we do that with Buddha too. That's on the veil. The veil of uh, that prevents people from understanding the teachings of the Buddha is the magical quality of that veil. Okay, but the Buddha says one thing. 
He teaches before and now he teaches only one thing. Now, I know that Bhikkhu Bodhi and others have uh, uh, tried to qualify that. But it's pretty clear in the suttas in about four different suttas that the Buddha says that he teaches only one thing. Both formally and now only one thing. What is that? We've already covered it. Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. Seeing your own end, um, uh, your own dissatisfaction that you that you feel right now, and come right out of it right now. Whatever dissatisfaction that you've got, come right out of it. Take the effort to come right out of it. That's all there is to it. And all of the other stuff is is stuff that people who were interested in the teachings of the Buddha brought to the scene. And many people are confused about what is the teaching of the Buddha and what is not the teaching of the Buddha. Things like magical powers, rebirth, reincarnation, uh, mystical experiences, and all uh, heavens, hells, all of that kind of stuff is the stuff that's in the mind of the beholder, not the actual teachings of the Buddha. The teaching of the Buddha is very, very small. Can you get it? Can you practice it over and over and over again? That's the real teachings of the Buddha. Now, we really haven't covered but just half of the Eightfold Noble Path. And we uh, have other things to talk about, including Anapanasati as a as a practice that's based on these four things that are in the Eightfold Noble Path. As you notice then, that even though Goenka mentions the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Noble Path, he doesn't take these items on the Eightfold Noble Path and apply it to what he uh, refers to as his method of scanning in Anapana. Right? You don't see it there. But when you begin to see that what we're actually doing is practicing the Eightfold Noble Path, and the Dhyanapanasati is just a way to do that. But he doesn't have uh, some of the ingredients. He doesn't have really right effort. His effort is a wrong effort because it takes us in the wrong direction. The right direction for right effort is to gladden the mind and to become wholesome and happy and secure and safe. That's the right effort. And that helps us develop the right attitude. And the right attitude is I can do this. I can handle this. I can do anything. I can enjoy this moment. No matter how it appears. I can handle it. Even your own death. Even the loss of a laptop. Even two dogs fighting. It doesn't matter what happens. You can handle it. By the way, I'm doing the two dogs fighting issue right now. <laughs> Look like you are. <laughs> Pardon? The, that dog that you're with? Yes. This dog is um, has just woken up from a nap. She's brand new. She arrived last night, and we haven't properly introduced her, which will take days, to the bigger dogs. 
And so here she is with her brand new claws, grabbing at this tummy of the uh, the big dog under the uh, the uh, the chair, who is beginning to growl. But me wanting to continue to talk to uh, to you instead of taking care of it, I just picked her up and and am holding her while we talk. That's how easy that dog fight was to stop. <laughs> Uh, so, well, so which parts of the Eightfold Path have we not talked about yet? Right area samati, getting your mind together. And getting the mind together means that we practice Anapanasati to get the various skills of Anapanasati together so that we can get the mind together. We haven't started talking about that yet, but we do can say that if you have skills of right sati, right investigation, right effort, and right attitude, then together at that point in time, your mind is organized. It's correct. It can see things correctly. But we'll talk about that more next time. Okay, we'll talk about that next time. Okay. Well, uh, and then that's only five, and we got three more. And we got three more. And we'll talk about them next time, as well as an introduction to Anapanasati. So today we've had the introduction that was not actually, even though you're a Goenka student, we didn't jump right into Anapanasati. We jumped into the teachings of the Buddha instead. Right. Yeah. So. So and you're and you're just on here um, every day, huh? I couldn't say that. I don't make any promises. Okay. But let us say this: that if you if you text me, can I call? Then I won't answer. If you call, I will hear it, and then we'll decide uh, based upon circumstances whether answering right now is a good thing to do or not. I so I would I would answer that by saying if you call, I will answer if I'm available. Okay, perfect. Uh, the last thing. And I being on another call with another student, being in the toilet, crying in the corner, you know that kind of stuff, and then I don't call. <laughs> uh, the the last thing I want to ask you today. Um, just, uh, I heard you, I know you, I think you recorded the podcast like a few years ago or something, but I don't know if it's just a passing comment or what, but you say, um, you said at least at the time, you know, anyone can come live in your porch or something like that. Uh, are you, are you, are you accessible? I mean, I'm, I'm coming over to Malaysia, Thailand. Um, in a few months. All right. Well, we have plenty of time to talk about that later, then, don't we? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, we do. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you so much. So save save that one for later. We'll talk about that later. You got plenty of time. You don't already have a ticket. That's good.
Right. There's a lot of factors that we have to discuss. For me, welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. But getting here and leaving, that's another issue. Yeah. In fact, do you have you ever heard of Guru Viking? Yeah, yeah. Steve. That, that's uh -huh. that's where I heard of you. Yeah. Yeah. He was here last week. Oh, really? Yeah. He spent two days here. <laughs> oh, wow. Amazing. Hmm. Nothing to it. You guys must have had fun. Uh, he did a lot of recording, about six hours, I think, so he'll find something to publish. Great, great. Oh, so wow. we'll, we'll see you later. Right. I would recommend that you that you start to practice what we've been talking about within the context of what you've already been doing, adding this kind of stuff to it. And we'll make some refinements to the way that you're practicing later. But right now, the whole point about gladdening the mind and paying attention to what's going on rather than letting the mind wander away into concepts yeah if it's not right here right now never mind start again all right perfect thank you so much damarato okay well i'm really glad to see you okay and, okay and we'll talk later all right appreciate it uh-huh okay bye 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 <laughs> the Thai style. <laughs> <laughs> bye bye. Bye.